Hey, so we've been talking about Hebrews. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, so today we're going to wrap that up. We're going to do a little bit of a review as we go through. And we're going to wrap up this idea. Uh, the subtitle, Jesus is Better Than. We're going to wrap that up. So uh, if you look at your first blank there, Hebrews shows us that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the best. And now, here's the thing. When I was in college, I took a class called Psychosocial Aspects of Advertising. Oh, yeah, that's right. Talking about how colors affect you and things like that, how you can make people buy more if you have certain colors and stuff. Um, but we learned a lot about like writing copy and how certain words don't mean what we think they mean. Like uh, if someone says, for example, if you had a detergent that they said it removes virtually any stain, in our mind, we think that means it removes almost any stain, virtually any. But virtually means not. So what it means is this, won't, this detergent won't remove any stain. So it could literally not remove stains at all, and they could say it removes virtually any stain, and that would be true. Is that crazy? Yeah. No. It gets crazier. So you could say, you could have a package. Have you ever gotten a package that says new and improved, right? Do you know that putting the sign new and improved on the package is an improvement to the product? So they could literally not change anything except put new and improved on the package, and that's legal. It's improved. And if it says new and improved formula, that just means they changed the formula. So they could have a detergent that says new and improved formula, and they just added some water to it and made it less effective, and they can still say it's new and improved. But one of the most amazing things is the words best and better. And the words best and better, because those are very weird words in advertising. If I say something is the best, so if I say that a certain car is the best four-wheel drive vehicle on the market, what I'm really saying is this is a four-wheel drive vehicle. It doesn't give any, best doesn't mean anything about how good it is. But if I say this four-wheel drive vehicle is better than any other vehicle, four-wheel drive vehicle on the road, then I have to prove that. I have to quantify that because better means something, right? And, and so, so it's funny because in advertising, best is not what you want to hear. You want to hear that something's better. And so when we've been talking about Jesus, I've, I've been thinking about that like Hebrews over and over talks about that Jesus is better than, better than, better than, better than, and it makes direct comparisons, right? So it's not just saying Jesus is the best. It's saying Jesus is quantifiably better than this. Jesus is quantifiably better than this. And so it goes through this list. So I'm going to go through, there's a lot of things we didn't talk about in Hebrews, and so we're going to go through all of them today, even though we already kind of went through angels and priests a little bit. We're going to review on that because some people may not have heard that. And so we're going to go through. But, what, but our goal is to show that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is above all these other things. All right? And then at the end, we'll figure out what do we need to do if that's true. Okay? So let's go through this. Um, we're going to go quick because we don't have a lot of time. Jesus is better than the angels. 
because he is the divine king. Jesus is better than the angels because he is the divine king. We talked about this the very first week. The angels are these amazing, powerful beings, but Jesus is above them. Um, who wants to read here? All right. Here we go. So he, ah, so, he, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he, he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he, said, he says, let all God's angels worship him. I'm speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But what about this? But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Very good. So he talks about a throne and a scepter there. And Jesus has a throne and a scepter. Angels don't have that. Jesus is a king. Angels are servants. Jesus is a son, right? An heir to who God is. So when we're talking about Jesus and angels, even though angels are amazingly powerful beings, they're more powerful than us. They have all these abilities that we don't have, but they are still, they don't measure up to Jesus, right? So look at this next one here. Jesus is better than Moses. Um, because while Moses was a servant of God, Jesus is the son of God. So understand this, that in Hebrew culture, Moses and Joshua and Abraham were probably the three most highly regarded people in history. Moses especially, because Moses was this guy who led his people out of slavery and out of bondage. So they, they really looked up to Moses. And so Hebrews is specifically saying Jesus is better than Moses. Because while Moses was a servant of God, Jesus is the son of God. Who wants to read that passage here about Moses? He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Very good, very good. So, yeah, and I was, uh, first hour I was talking about that idea, like, like, the builder is what makes the house great. Just like uh, what I was saying earlier is the idea that, like, if you like art, right? I like art. So Vincent Van Gogh, right? You've, have you everybody seen Vincent Van Gogh artwork sometime? You know, it's very colorful. The sunflowers and stuff like that. And it's worth tens of millions of dollars. Like, people pay lots of money for these paintings, but here's the deal. If you make a painting that looks exactly like Vincent van Gogh's sunflowers, it looks exactly like, stroke for stroke, exactly the same, and you make it, and you go to sell it, then it's, it wouldn't be valuable. It wouldn't be as valuable for sure. Maybe your grandmother would buy it, or maybe somebody else might buy it because it looks like Vincent van Gogh's. But the reason they would buy your painting is because it looks like a painting that Vincent van Gogh made. It's the artist that makes the painting valuable, right? The painting only has value because of who the artist is. And that's what it's talking about here, that with Moses, the reason Moses is so important is because God put him in that position. God led Moses all through his development to put him where he needed to be. But Jesus 
In, in John, we see that Jesus was there from the beginning. Jesus was a co-creator with God. His spirit and God's spirit were one. They were, they were creating the world. So he is the creator, not the created. Look at the next one there. Jesus is better than Joshua. Because Jesus brings a greater rest to the people of God. You know what's really funny too? <coughs> when we see that name Joshua, Joshua, and we see the name Jesus, both of those are Greek versions or Greek interpretations of a Hebrew word, Yeshua. So Jesus and Joshua actually had the same name. Isn't that crazy? So Jesus is named probably after Joshua in the Old Testament because Joshua was the one who led them into the promised land. Moses got them out of bondage. Joshua leads them into the promised land. He takes them and they, and they become who they're meant to be under Joshua. So at this time in Israel, when Jesus is born, the Romans are ruling. Everybody hates the Romans. They want to be delivered from the Romans. They want to get their land back. And so a lot of people were naming their kids Joshua, Yeshua. So there were probably a lot of Jesuses around, but he was separate from them. He was different. And so when we see Jesus is better than Joshua, then because Jesus brings a greater rest to the people of God, because that's what Joshua brought. Uh, who wants to read that? For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later and about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Good. So he's talking about that Jesus gives a rest, like a spiritual rest for, for the people. Not just a place, not just a, a physical place for them to rest, but a, a spiritual rest. A place that you don't have to go any farther, right? So look at this next one. Jesus is... We talked about priests, but Jesus is a better priest than Aaron because he is sinless and immortal. So Aaron was the first priest of Israel. On Wednesday, we talked about Melchizedek, who's the first person mentioned in the Bible who's called a priest, but that's before God sets up his order within Israel, and Aaron is the first priest of that order. So who wants to read? Such a high priest truly meets our need. One, is who, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinner, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed by the son who has been made perfect forever. Very good, very good. So um, when we're talking about a high priest, high priests had to purify themselves. And uh, when a high priest went in to stand before God, he had to be purified first. Jesus didn't have to do that because he had no sin. So um, Jesus is a better priest than any high priest ever. Uh, this next one, Jesus had a better ministry and uh, offers a better covenant and a better, with a better promise than anyone before. Jesus had a better ministry. That means he ministered to people in a better way than anybody who had come before him. John the Baptist, 
Even Moses, Joshua, Aaron, any of them, he ministered better than any of them. He offered a better covenant. They, they were under a covenant with God where God said, if you'll worship me, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. But Jesus offers a new covenant that says, you don't have, it's not God and people, it's a relationship. It's a, it's a much more of a like connection that Jesus was offering. And then, um, and that's the promise. They could, through Jesus, we inherit the promise of heaven. Not just the promise, not just the hope that maybe we'll get there someday, but the promise of heaven that through Jesus we can get there. Um, who would like to read those two verses? Oh, wow. Come on over. Good catch. Because of his oath, Jesus had become the guarantor. guarantor of a better covenant. So Jesus is guaranteeing. He, it's his life that guarantees the covenant, right? But Good. in fact, wait, should I read that? But in fact, the mystery, the ministry Jesus had has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is meditator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established one on better promises. Yes. So that's all talking about the fact that Jesus is just better than the stuff in the Old Testament. Jesus is better than the relationship God had with his people. Some of you may say, well, why didn't God just set up that relationship in the first place? Right? Why didn't God just send Jesus like Adam and Eve sin, and God just sends Jesus? And Jesus goes, okay, die on the cross, all good, right? And, and the reason for that, I believe, is what we look at in Scripture as progressive revelation. This is, things change. Not God. God doesn't change. But the relationship to God changes. For example, when you were a little kid, when you were two years old, and you did something you weren't supposed to do, your mom probably either gave you a little smack, or we used to give Allie a little pinch, you know, a little pinch on her bum. She would never do it again, right? Because those are, that's what you understand. Or they may have given you time out, but it was only for a few minutes, right? It was short. It was immediate. It was, that's the way it worked. As you got older, you had a different relationship with your parents. You, especially once you went to school, you started doing stuff like comparing yourself to other kids. Why do they get to go to bed late and then I don't get to? That's not fair, right? And then now you guys are starting to get more uh, freedom, but the punishments are probably bigger. Like if you, get, if you do something wrong now, your parents might ground you, and it'll be for a long time, right? It's not like, you're grounded for five minutes, young lady. No, it's you're grounded for a week. You're grounded for a month. You're grounded for a semester. You're grounded for the rest of your natural life. Like, it's bigger, right? And when you get in high school and you have more responsibility, it might be even bigger than that. And then eventually you kind of go to college, you, you're on your own, and you do your own thing, and your parents, your parents are still going to care about you. They're still going to worry about you. But you're making a lot of your own decisions, and they aren't, they aren't even allowed to make decisions for you. I, I can't make decisions for Elliot, right? And, and, so, and then, though, comes a time after that where you have a relationship with your parents. 
And when you become an adult, you begin to look at your parents in a different way. I look at my parents very differently than I did when I was in fourth grade, right? Now, my parents are still pretty much the same people. They're older, but they're pretty much the same people. But the way they interact with me is different. And that's why in the Bible, you see in the Old Testament, in the beginning of the Old Testament, you see God dealing with a bunch of toddlers. So he's like, no, stop that. Stop that. Don't do what, I tell you, what, I, do what I'm telling you, or else you're going to get in trouble. And then they get a little older, and they're like, everybody has a king but us. Why don't we have a king? It's not fair. And God says, all right, I'll let you have a king, but then now you gotta, you got more responsibility that comes with that. And they mess it up, and he has to fix things. And, and, then, and then later on, they're kind of on their own. They're, they're, they're grooving. They're in middle school. And then God sends prophets and says, hey, you need to straighten up or you're going to be in trouble. They didn't straighten up, and they get sent into captivity for 400, you know, 300 years, 400, 100 years, different time periods, right? And they get sent to Babylon, and, and they don't get to come home for a while. They get grounded, right? And then they come back, and they rebuild the temple and everything. And then between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of we don't know. There's nothing. God's not speaking. Israel's on their own. It's like college, right? And then Jesus comes, and Jesus is changing that relationship. The relationship that they've always had is different now. And, and now it's more of a face-to-face -face relationship. It's a, it's a relationship of a person with a person, a, a figure that we can see and we could touch, and people could know exactly what God was like through him. So Jesus had better, was better than anyone else. Let's go on the last one there. Jesus is a better sacrifice. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered by the, mo the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. See, here's the thing. Sacrifice in the Old Testament was crazy because everybody else did sacrifice. All the other countries, all the other worship systems, they did sacrifice to try to get their God to do something. So they'd offer better and better sacrifices to get more and more from their God. If I offer a goat, the God's going to bless me this much. If I offer a, a bull, he's going to bless me more. If I offer my child, he's going to bless me even more, right? So it was the size of the offering. You were trying to convince the God to bless you. But God sets up an offering system in the Old Testament that's not like that. He says, I want you to offer this specific thing, a dove, a goat, a bull. And most of those offerings say, I'm not asking you to offer this so I will do something for you. I'm asking you to offer this because I've already done something for you. Which is really weird in that system. So when, when you offer a goat, when you offer a bull, when you offer a dove, you're offering them knowing that God's already done something for you, and this is out of gratitude. So when Jesus offers himself, he's showing us how much God loves us. He's showing us this is done for you, and my blood being shed is showing you what's been done for you. It's a whole different thing. So Jesus was the best sacrifice. All right, last thing here. Look at this at the bottom. So what should we do? So first, we should hold fast to the confession. So that's what it says in there. It says, hold fast to the confession. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So it's saying, because we have something better than priests or heroes of the faith or sacrifices, because we have something better, we should hold on to him. Not give up on that hope. Right? Embrace that hope. Like I said last week, like we talked about Wednesday night, sometimes we try to grab onto something else and, and, and grab Jesus with like our other hand. And that's not what, what he's asking us to do. We need to hold on to him because he gives us everything. Right? So hold fast. Hold tightly to that. And the other one is we should push one another to good deeds, to love and good deeds. And now when I say that, Sometimes people misinterpret this passage, right? It says, push one another to love and good deeds, and we go, oh, that means I should look at other people and see what they're doing and tell them they should do it right, right? That means I should go, hey, Eli, I saw what you were doing the other day. You better straighten up, bud, right? And we get judgmental, right? But that's not what it's calling us to do. It's saying we should push each other to be better. Not judge each other, but push each other to be better. So it's more like this. Eli, God's got something great for you. Let's, let's do something great together, right? Let me help you. Let's do a Bible study together. Let's do something together. Not just smacking each other down. And I see people all the time who, who that's the way they see this verse. That this is a verse that I should use to judge other people or compare myself to other people. And that's not what, what it's for. We should be pushing each other. Because we know Jesus is the best, because we know Jesus is not the best, supreme, we should push each other toward Jesus and try to push each other towards love and what Jesus has for us. Look at that verse. And let us consider how we may spur one another on Toward love and good deeds. I like that word, spur, like a horse, right? Like you drive those spurs in. And uh, I know that's brutal. I'm sorry. But uh, um, so this is what we should be doing. The book of Hebrews tells us Jesus is supreme. He's better than anything else. And because of that, we should be pushing each other on to better things. And we should be holding tight to what we know, who we know Jesus is and the hope that he gives us. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll be done. Lord, thank you for each one that's here. Lord, I pray that they will hold fast to that hope that you give us. Lord, I pray that they will push each other to be better. I pray that they will have relationships with people in this room that will make them better. And Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to move in us and bless us and do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.